A coaching legend has passed. Bobby Knight, who led the last undefeated team in college basketball back in 1976 for Indiana, dies at the age of 83. I'll spend a few moments to discuss the good, bad, and ugly of one of the all-time greats. The Texas Rangers have done the unthinkable. A historic 11-game road winning streak that leads them to their first ever World Series title. I'll recap a not-so-good fall classic, and now it's on to the offseason as the hot stove will start cooking before you know it. You have four big games to carry you through a 14-hour NFL Sunday. Not the same in college football as LSU-Alabama is the highlight on Saturday. James Harden is officially an LA Clipper. How will this marriage go, and is it expected to last? Cheers to a new month as November is here, as I'll detail what's happening in the sports world. It's all coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. November comes charging in as we could start the countdown toward a new year. Think about this. Thanksgiving is three weeks away from today. Can you imagine? You'll have Black Friday, all of the Christmas shopping that's ahead of you, holiday parties, the Christmas and New Year's holiday, of course, And before you know it, 2024 will smack you in the face. So don't wait until then to get your priorities in order. Start now. It'll be here before you know it. And speaking of which, the latest podcast is BAM! Right here as well as I share with you my thoughts on all that's taking place and beyond. As this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And I have to start the podcast on a sad note only because when you have a big figure, someone who, I get it, it's been quite some time since he was at Indiana, whether it was winning championships, whether it was, I hate to say it, scolding players on the sideline, throwing chairs across the court. But when you have a guy like Bobby Knight, who when you rank the top coaches in the college basketball pantheon, he is up there. He is up there with John Wooden. He is up there with Mike Krzyzewski. He is up there with the all-time greats. And you could argue whether or not he belongs up there on Mount Rushmore, Dean Smith, Roy Williams. We can go on down the list. Adolph Rupp. But Bobby Knight, 
is a part of that conversation when you think about college basketball and you think about head coaches and for him and his illustrious, decorated, and controversial career, it goes without saying that it would be a disrespect not to begin the podcast with spending a few minutes talking about his career, talking about the things he'd done on the court, to a certain extent even off the court. And we live in a day and age, I get it, with cancel culture and with just so many things that have to be in line with what's gone on here in society, especially over the last five to ten years. And this is a guy that if he was coaching today, who knows if he'd last five minutes. Because I'm sure for the sports fan who is at least over 40, they got a grasp and certainly got an ear and eye and who knows how many mouthfuls of what Bobby Knight has said throughout his tenure, whether it was at Indiana and predominantly there. And even though when he coached at Texas Tech, he was a, I would say not a shell, but he was certainly scaled down from his time in Bloomington. And for him to have all the success, the last undefeated team in 1976, which has not been duplicated since that time. And we're going on 50 years when you think about it. To be exact, it's what? 47 years going on 48 And you could talk about all the teams, whether it was UNLV that one year in 91. You could talk about Kentucky there, I believe, what was it, 2014. And so many teams, maybe not so many, that's a bit of a stretch, but you had a handful of teams that tried to get to that stratosphere. And Bobby Knight was one guy similar to Don Shula. And I get it that the Hoosiers were not the only team that was undefeated. You have to go back to, of course, John Wooden for all those championships at UCLA and how great he was, but it's not about Wooden. But knowing that the Hoosiers were the last team to accomplish that what seems to be unattainable feat, and there had been teams that had threatened that, and Bobby Knight was the guy that I'm sure when it was all said and done, he would light that victory cigar, maybe not like Red Auerbach or the Boston Celtics once did, but I'm sure somewhere he was smiling knowing that he was the last guy to lead a college basketball team to a national title without a blemish on his record. And sadly, blemish is a word that we could use for Coach Knight because whether it was on the court and some of the things and the accomplishments that he's done there, winning the national championships, three that he did throughout his stay at Indiana. But then you have the incidents, whether it was throwing the chair across court, disagreeing with the refs, even accosting his own players, putting him in chokeholds. And I get it in that day and time, that was, I believe, in the early 90s, where it looked like it was more discipline. It's almost like that saying, I believe a comedian, I can't remember his name, but When a child is disciplined, let's say over the last 10 years or so, it would be considered child abuse. Whereas back then, it was discipline. It was, to a certain extent, imposing your will, but it was for the greater good. Not because you wanted to threaten a kid or you wanted to berate and bend his ear and literally pull him to the bench and have him sit down or just slam him on a metal chair. But that's how Bobby Knight operated. That's how he was wired. And that's not to excuse him by any stretch of the imagination. That's not to say that, oh, it was okay for him to do that because it wasn't. And there were a lot of people in the media who frowned upon that and rightfully so. They had a right to 
say that because, it, like I said, it was right in front of our very eyes week in, week out between late November through early April. And for Knight, I get it. A controversial figure, a guy that if you crossed him, he was a guy that stiff-armed you, that didn't want to hear from you. And a lot of that, I'm sure, comes from his background, that old-school mentality, almost a curmudgeon, a guy that was going to tell you what you didn't want to hear but also told you the truth, a guy that had no filter, a guy that, let's face it, was one that I'm sure when you look at the Giants among the sport during the time that he coached was one that you didn't really want to root for. And I'm sure whether you're Syracuse in 1987 when Keith Smart hit that shot for the national title there that year, I'm sure a lot of upstate New York was moaning and groaning because they did not want to see Bobby Knight win another championship. And 76, I understand that was a long time ago. I was only at that time seven years old. So I didn't watch any of those games. I did not watch that national championship. And you have to talk about the good in what he did on the court. A guy that was an X's and O's guy, a guy that knew how to coach, got the best out of his players, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent. But you cannot argue the success that he's had on the court based on that resume. But when it's all said and done, I know a lot of people are going to look at the bad and even the ugly side about how this guy was unreasonable, how this guy just didn't get it. No matter what era or how he grew up, what generation, etc., that that's just the way he was. He was pretty much an old dog that you can't teach him any new tricks. And unfortunately, as the years went by, and even though, like I mentioned, Texas Tech, he had some success there, nothing close to where he had in Indiana, but a guy that certainly tamed down a lot. I don't know if that was because of people getting in his ear, or maybe he was just a guy that mellowed out from his days at Indiana. Who knows? But certainly did not have that same roar, if you will, or had that same type of energy. And maybe it was maturity at that point. Maybe it was like, hey, that's just not me anymore. But a lot of people aren't going to remember that. They're going to remember the guy who was the finger in your face, that didn't want to hear it, that threw the chairs across the court at Assembly Hall, and it was his way or the highway. And I'm sure there's a lot of people yesterday that may not shed a tear who were maybe not in close contact, whether they were in the media, whether they were in the booth, whether they were behind the scenes, I'm sure there was some that are going to remember him from a standpoint, oh yeah, he was a great coach, but as a person, ugh. Oh well. And that's sad. Because you want to remember a legend like that for the stuff that he did on the court, whether it was right in front of our eyes or not. But you want to embrace the greatness that he was whenever he was in that 94 square feet. And now, at 83 years of age, He has transitioned. So it goes without saying, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Knight family, the college basketball family, Indiana, Texas Tech, etc. As a legend who will be missed, I'm sure, in some parts and maybe not in others. But when you talk about that coaching fraternity, whether it's Wooden, Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, uh, you name it, the behemoths of the sport, he belongs up there. 
Now let me turn my attention to baseball as I put on my cleats and put a cap on a World Series that, let's face it, you had a great game one, game three had its moments, I understand it was 3 nothing, and when you look at that seventh inning when they got the run off of a double and a run scoring single, and at that point you had a Roldis Chapman on the ropes, and it was a situation where if the... Diamondbacks were going to get back in this game. They needed to get that second run in in order to make it interesting. And next thing you know, it was a double play to ice that rally. And pretty much the Diamondback bats went quietly into the night. What could you say about what happened there in game four? It was 11-1, really 10 nothing before you could blink. All those 10-run outbursts after two outs of all situations where they scored five in the second, five in the third. And even though a ferocious rally there in the final couple of innings where the final score looked respectable but the game was out of reach when you think about it even though it was 11-7 and then last night you had Zach Gallen pitching a no-hitter going into the seventh inning until Corey Seager got that double and then next thing you know Mitch Garver drives him in and at that point you kind of thought oh if the Diamondbacks hold him at bay maybe they have a shot and then the ninth inning just imploded on him and what it boils down to is this When you have players that are making big-time money, whether your name is Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, as they're tied at the hip because they both came to the Texas Rangers that same offseason where Simeon, I believe, signed an $175 million deal and then Seager signed, I believe his was $350 million. And all Seager did was hit home run after home run after home run to another World Series MVP to match the one that he got with the Dodgers in the pandemic-shortened 2020 season. And you had great performances there by Nathan Navaldi, even though he walked five, and the Diamondbacks had some chances. But they were unable to cash in, and you know that when you're not able to do that, and the team that is up three games to one, knowing that you need to score first, because I'm sure you saw all the stats throughout the postseason, when the Rangers scored first, they won all their games. And I understand one nothing is not insurmountable, but in a World Series where the Diamondbacks were certainly gasping for air and had shown that the outburst of Game 4 aside, and of course Game 2, I know he scored 9 runs, but they were at a premium over the course of these final few games. And because they weren't able to scratch a run there in the first 6 innings, and when Texas got the lead, I'm sure they were pressing, I'm sure that the Diamondbacks knew that they were going to be into some trouble. But then in the ninth inning, when Paul Sewald comes in, and next thing you know, he's giving up base hit after base hit. And I get it that the Alec Thomas error in center field was not his fault, but that just opened the floodgates. And then for Simeon to put the cherry on top, hitting the two-run homer to cap off a four-run ninth inning, that was all she wrote. And when you have players like that on your team, and even Evaldi, who was a free agent, I get it, he wasn't the... Sexy free agent. He wasn't the guy that was making $200 million. He wasn't Jacob DeGrom that came from the Mets to sign a five-year, $185 million deal, but still was a guy that has a playoff track record, showed and proved this postseason his worth by keeping his team in the game and having a perfect record. I know he did not pitch well in game one, but got a no decision based on the heroics of Seager in that ninth inning. But for the Rangers, first time in their franchise's history, And I get it, they don't have nothing close to what some of the other teams in the sport that had to deal and had to just suffer 
the pain, whether you are a Red Sox fan, and I understand that that's one of the bigger ones in the sports, Red Sox, Cubs, even the current Guardians, Indians, who haven't won since 1948, I get it that the Rangers do not have that type of baggage. The only baggage that they really have in the postseason was Game 6 of the 2011 World Series, the last time they were there, and we all know what happened. The misplayed fly ball in right field by Nelson Cruz, David Freeze, the Cardinals, who was the World Series MVP, his heroics in that game, in that ninth inning, and in the extra innings, and therefore led them to a World Series championship, which I'm sure the Ranger fan had to stew over for the last dozen years. Well, now that demon has been exercised. And I get it's only one demon. You can't compare it to the curse of the Bambino or the curse of the Billy Goat or, like I mentioned, the Guardians who have not won a World Series and now going on, what, eight decades? I get it. But it is their first ever World Series championship, and I'm sure everybody in Arlington will rejoice. I would think that the parade may be tomorrow, if not Saturday, which usually the parades don't take place over the weekend, so who knows? Maybe they're trying to put it together on the fly so they could have it tomorrow to head the party into the weekend. But the Rangers were the better team. And the clock struck 12 on Arizona. And they were game, and they showed a lot of fight. They showed a lot of grit throughout this whole postseason run and even in this World Series. Think about it. They had a game one, 5-3 lead in the ninth inning with a closer that they brought in from Seattle who had pitched very well here for the Diamondbacks down the stretch, but couldn't get it done. And we saw what happened there in the 11th inning with Adoles Garcia, who did not play in games four and five due to the, or excuse me, yes, did not play in games four and five due to the oblique that he suffered on a swing late in game three. But for the Diamondbacks, it was too tough of a mountain for them to climb. Because when you lose game one, and even though they bounce back nicely, winning 9-1 in game two, But to lose Game 3, I understand it was tough. I understand that they had an opportunity there, as I mentioned, but they weren't able to get that second run to inch closer to scratch and claw away. And then what could you say about Game 4? It was pretty much over, even though their valiant comeback fell way short, four runs, 11-7. And then last night, they put forth their best effort. And Zach Gallen, when you go six innings of no-hit ball and your offense is unable to produce, what more can you do? It's not all on him. And the Rangers, I'm not going to say they wanted it more. I'm not going to say that it was destined, whatever. But let's face it, they were the better team. And now we look forward to an offseason with Shohei Otani and what he's going to command and what and where he's going to sign. That's going to be the big question mark going in. On top of what will take place over the next couple of weeks with the awards when it comes to the Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year, as well as MVP and Cy Young. That I don't really get into. I'll probably talk about it a little bit there on that Thursday podcast, which will be a couple weeks from today, because I believe a week from this coming Monday is when they'll announce the regular season awards. But that is it. That's what you have here for a World Series that did not generate a buzz with the ratings. I'm sure America just took a hard pass. The baseball fan, the diehard, I'm sure they tuned in. But sadly, the World Series, just like this whole postseason, was a big, gigantic thud. It really was. As for the Rangers, all you could say from the top on down, the organization bringing in a guy like Bruce Bochy, 
who as we all know in this day and age, it's all about the manager that is going to be more of a babysitter and tied in with the organization, the front office, on all the analytics that the game is going to be pretty much thought out three hours prior to first pitch. And Bochi, a go-by-your-gut guy, as I like to say, eye test over iPad, pushing all the right buttons, you have all the right players, and now he's a champion for the fourth time in his career, and let's face it, when he hangs up his cleats and his ball cap is going into the Hall of Fame on roller skates. He's taken three different teams to World Series, the 98 Padres, of course the Giant teams of the mid-20-teens, and now here the Rangers. And what more can you say? 11 straight road wins. Historic. You're never going to see anything like that ever. I mean, wrap your head around that, people. They lost the final game of the regular season in three out of four in Seattle where they coughed up the division. So they couldn't go home to rest for a few days to start off the postseason or the division series that following weekend. They had to get on a plane to go to Tampa from Seattle, rest the day, sweep the Rays, who won 99 games in a regular season, then had to travel up to Baltimore and sweep them, an 101-win team, then play the Astros, who won the division, as we all know, and were on the road for those games, and by the way, the defending World Series champions, sweep all four of those road games en route to a World Series appearance, and then now, after splitting the first two games at home, winning the three in Arizona to cap off one more time an historic playoff to where they didn't lose on the road 11 straight and their first ever World Series championship. Does it get any better than that? And I know as a bitter Met fan, I can look at Jacob DeGrom when he's in the dugout and even Max Scherzer to a certain extent and all you do is just roll your eyes. More so at Scherzer than DeGrom even though DeGrom last pitched April 28th. But I know for the people that want to needle at me and pick at me, ah, look at DeGrom's got a ring and even Scherzer. And you won't even say Travis Jankowski. Could you imagine him? He was a Met too, if you recall, in these last couple of years. But again, he's more of a spare part. But the bottom line is that when you see Scherzer, the hired gun that he was, and he didn't really contribute to this run at all, it does sting a little bit. And for DeGrom, do you feel happy for him? The guy didn't pitch. Yes, he's going to have a World Series ring come opening day next year in their ballpark when they get their rings, but he was not a contributor to that at all. You didn't see him since the end of April. And I'm not trying to throw cold water on him at all, but let's not get it twisted, people. Even as a Met fan, and good for him, he's got his ring, great, but for those who want to get at me to say, ha, 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 how does that feel, so on and so forth, I mean, seriously? It's not going to affect me one bit. I'm just bringing it up here because, and I love my guy, Lou, who's my barber. And he got at me yesterday. Ah, DeGrom, ah, you know, Scherzer, ah. And what are you going to do? What are you going to say? You know, but when you see Scherzer just like going crazy in the dugout there in the eighth inning, I think it was, or maybe it was in the ninth when the error by Thomas and those runs came in, it's like, oh, geez. And like I said, the Diamondbacks, the clock struck 12. That's all there is to it. They have a young, good, scrappy team. Who knows if this is going to be one to build on because, remember, the Dodgers are still in their division. The Padres, who knows if they're 
ever going to get their act together and they still got to get a manager because remember, Bob Melvin went up the coast of San Francisco. You still have the Braves, Phillies, maybe the Mets, haha. If they ever become a part of this discussion when it comes to teams that can make it into the postseason in the National League. So kudos to them and their magical run. Nobody, including yours truly, had any thought that they would win in Philadelphia, and they did. But the Magic and their carpet ride, that's it. It did not take off the way it did in this World Series that it had in the previous three rounds. That's it. And that is your baseball season, people. As we'll focus more hot stove in the weeks to come. And like I mentioned with the awards just a little while ago, as we put a lid on this 2023 baseball season. So once again, congratulations to the Texas Rangers on winning their first ever World Series title. All right, now let me put on my helmet and shoulder pads to go through the National Football League as well as college football. And a lot has transpired here over the last three days. So let's unpack it. We'll start off with the trade deadline in the NFL where you had a few big moves. The biggest one being the commanders as they pretty much pawned off their front seven by sending Montez Sweat to Chicago. For what reason, I don't know. It's not as if the Bears are going anywhere. And then Chase Young, the former number two overall pick of a few years back, he goes to San Francisco, and you wonder if that was a touche to what Seattle did by trading with the Giants to bring Leonard Williams to the Pacific Northwest. So for Williams to bolster their front line on a defensive side, at the Seahawks that is, and for the Niners to bring in Chase Young, who, as we all know, has a lot of talent, but had also suffered a few big injuries, including an ACL, and hasn't been the player coming out of Ohio State that a lot of people expected him to be. But you have to wonder now, with him and Nick Bosa, remember, that was his college teammate from his days over at uh, Columbus, and for those two to reunite and see if they could push each other, and Bosa, who's had a very underwhelming year coming off of a Defensive Player of the Year award last year, what does he have, three sacks this year? And you could attribute that to maybe a lot of double teams, him just not getting off the line the way he did. I haven't watched every Niner game complete. Of course, that one game that I did see was the Steeler game. It was week one. And remember, he didn't have a contract coming into that final week, heading into the first week of the regular season. I'm sure his preparation, his workouts and everything were up to snuff. But as far as game speed and getting acclimated to what the week-in, week-out grind has been. Maybe it just hasn't been there for him over the first seven weeks of the season or eight weeks, and maybe now he'll be reinvigorated with Young in the lineup as well. That we'll have to see, and we know the Niners have hit the skids here with that three-game losing streak. So we have to pay attention to see whether or not the Niners will be able to get on track. And as it is this week, your buys are the Niners, as I'll have a week off here, as well as Denver, Detroit, and Jacksonville. So think about it. You have really three of the top teams in the sport. Jacksonville has won five in a row and are at 6-2 and two at the top of the AFC South. Detroit, as we all know, atop the NFC North with the same record, I believe, 6-2. and two. And San Francisco, although in second place currently, but going into their bye. And we all know that they are going to be formidable when it's all said and done and possibly could come out of the NFC sometime there at the end of January. So... That's what we have with the trade deadline. Yes, I know that Buffalo got Russell Douglas from Green Bay. And you've had a few other trades, whether it's the Vikings getting Josh Dobbs from Arizona, who's not going to start this week. 
And I get it. He just got here and has to pass physicals, etc. Where the Vikings are going to start a guy named Jaron Hall who actually pitched in last week against Green Bay after Kirk Cousins went down with the Achilles injury where he'll be done for the year. So that's what we have there on the trade deadline front. I know that the Bills also signed Leonard Fournette, a guy that is picked off off the scrap heap. And let's see if he could give the Bill offense a jolt there when it comes to the run game. Because as we know, they do not have a running game. Everything's predicated on the pass. Which you can say that for a lot of teams and the entire league on a whole. But you know that you have to keep defenses honest. You have to have a little bit of a mix there. It can't just be all done through the air. And let's see if Fournette, as I believe they called him, playoff Leonard or playoff Fournette, whatever it was down in Tampa. If he could rekindle any of that energy that he had in the early part of this decade, especially in that 2020 run when the Buccaneers went on to win a Super Bowl, that will be a boon for the Buffalo Bills. But more off-the-field news took place after that Monday night disaster for the Vegas Raiders, and I didn't get to see or read the quotes from Devontae Adams, but it certainly looked bleak on his end to the point where Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders fired Josh McDaniels, the GM, Dave Ziegler, the offensive coordinator, the ball boy, water boy, the equipment manager, just a house cleanse to say the least there in Vegas to where the current coach, or at least the interim is a one Antonio Pierce. And if you think to yourself, wait a minute, that name sounds familiar. Wasn't he the guy that was on the giant team in 2007 that won a Super Bowl? Yes. Then Antonio Pierce. He is now the head coach of the Raiders. And we would think it's going to be short-lived only because he is an interim. Unless they have a phenomenal finish to where they have no choice but to sign him to an extension. So we'll see how Pierce does as a coach. But McDaniels, this is it. There's no way that this guy should be coaching ever again. We saw what happened in Denver there in 2009. He was there for a year and a half. And was never to be heard from as far as him being a head coach. Of course, he went back to New England, won more Super Bowls there under Bill Belichick. And now, after more than a decade of not being able to have a head coaching job, maybe we thought it was right for him. And we thought that maybe he had learned. Remember, he had the job in Indianapolis wrapped up before he scrapped that. And a lot of people were down on him at that point. But okay, was the time for him to now go to Vegas? Sure, no problem. But that certainly didn't work out. And now you have a situation where Jimmy Garoppolo is not even going to be the starter from here on out. You're going to have Aiden O'Connell. Now, I don't know if that was an Antonio Pierce move or that was more of a move on Mark Davis, the owner, to put the quarterback in there, who I believe was drafted this year. And I don't know much about O'Connell, so I have to have my hand raised high in the air. But to think, this Raider franchise, as we know, pretty much since the... 2002 Super Bowl, Rich Gannon, Tim Brown, even Jerry Rice was on that team. Ever since then, this organization has had little to pretty much zero success. And I don't know if it is the owner, if it falls on him, the GM, they also have an interim there. Just shambles when you think about the Raiders over the last couple of decades. And it's evident by what we saw here just a couple days ago, the firing of Josh McDaniels. And who knows, does he go back to New England? Considering their offense is certainly a far cry from the 07 offense that went 18-0 against Antonio Pierce's giant team. But who knows where the 
direction or the road lies for one Josh McDaniels, whether that leads him back to Foxborough or maybe to just start over with another organization or maybe go to college, not to say that that's going to be a route for him, but we would think McDaniels as a head coach in the NFL, the last game Monday night there in Detroit was what's left of his coaching career. And I don't think we're going to see him on the sideline patrolling a team ever again. And now as we look forward to a week number 10, I believe. I know I get my weeks mixed up. No, it's nine. I'm a step ahead here. Now we get to the halfway point of the season. After this week. And it kicks off tonight. Tennessee at Pittsburgh. A game that I'll be in tune with. Kenny Pickett says he's going to play tonight's matchup. Going up against Will Levis, who had that four-touchdown performance on Sunday. And Ryan Tannehill is going to be out So I'm sure we saw the last of Tannehill in a Titan uniform. And you would think Will Levis, even after that performance there against the Falcons on Sunday, will now be anointed as the quarterback of the future, or really the quarterback of the present, when you think about it. But for the Steelers, and I know I didn't talk about that game the other day, and I'm not going to rehash that, but for Deontay Johnson to come out with his comments against the refs, I'm surprised the fine hasn't been levied, or has come down on him for the comments that he said in the postgame. And not that it mattered because the Steelers were down 17-3 to there late in the game before they even made a comeback to cut it to 17-10. So it wasn't as if there were a play or two that determined the outcome of the game. But whether that's frustration, whether that's just ineptitude on their offense, to me, I'll blame more on the latter than the former. But the Steelers will get a big lift tonight on defense where they'll have Cam Hayward back in the lineup after him sitting out. From week one, where we had not seen him, and who knows if we were going to get to see him. Granted that he was on the injured reserve with a groin injury. But the Steeler team, they could get to 5-3 and and be respectable here to head into a second half of a season where it's a toss-up there in the AFC as to who's going to grab those final few spots there. And not that that's going to mean a lot, because you would think that with the AFC being very top-heavy, with Kansas City... You want to throw in Miami, and I'll get to them in a second, both of those teams. Throw in Cincinnati as they're making a charge here. Baltimore, Buffalo, you think that they would not survive against any of those teams when it comes to a 2-7 or 3-6 matchup. But they've done it with smoke and mirrors, as I've said. And Tomlin, I don't know what magic dust he sprinkled throughout that locker room, but let's see if they could come out victorious tonight to be a respectable 5-3, to head into a second half, which... They still have two games against the Bengals. They still have to go to Baltimore. They have a game in Cleveland. So they still have plenty of division games left. Although they're 2-0 right now. But that's going to go a long way to see where they'll stack in this division. Where we all know it's going to be black and blue. And I understand that was more of the NFC North going back to the days of yesteryear. But for this dealer team, let's see if they could put up any type of Decent offensive numbers. They haven't had a 400-yard game. The longest streak. One of the longest streaks in NFL history. It's been 55 games. Think about that. In a league where these teams get 400 yards in their sleep. Or sometimes in the first three quarters of a game. And the Steelers haven't eclipsed that going back now almost four years. Which is sad to say. Because that 2020 year when they started off 11-0. Remember that, Steelers fans? That was the last time that they had any type of offensive outburst to where they were able to put up big numbers and score a lot of points 
to where they were able to have an offense that was ranked amongst the top or even the middle of the pack. And as we all know, the Steeler offense is at the bottom. And who knows if they're going to even get the scratch and claw their way out to have anything close to a 400-yard game, let alone a 300-yard game. Because it seems that they can't even get 50 yards in the first half. And a lot of those numbers are either in garbage time or the defenses lay off, as you saw in the Jacksonville game there on Sunday. It's just a mess there in Pittsburgh, if you ask me. And to think they're a game over 500. Which goes to show you, maybe coaching does have, if not some, a lot to what's going on there in Pittsburgh is them having any type of success there throughout the first seven games of the season. But now to get to Sunday... For the girlfriends and wives out there, it is going to be a rough one. Because when you look at the whole slate, and granted that the slate isn't great, but you have the windows starting from 9.30 in the morning. 9.30, 1 o'clock, 4.25, 8.20. Here are your games in that order. Miami at Kansas City, where we all know this game should be at Arrowhead. It would have been the return of Tyreek Hill to Kansas City. I'm sure there would have been a lot of hype, hoopla surrounding that. But because the game is in Frankfurt, Germany, you didn't get any of that. I don't even see or have read a quote from Tyreek Hill about facing his former team this week. And I don't know, maybe because of that, with the game being overseas, that it's lost a little bit of luster in that regard, where it's not going to be in front of the Chief Kingdom and the Arrowhead faithful. Maybe that has something to do with it. But this is a matchup where the Dolphins, it would have been more of a test going to Kansas City as opposed to Frankfurt. And I understand time change and zones and flying out there, etc. Who knows? Maybe Miami will eke out a game considering Kansas City had a putrid effort out in Mile High there last week. But to see Kansas City lose, lose two games in a row would be shocking, even if it is on a neutral site. But that's one game that a lot of people are going to pay attention to because it's going to go a long way for home field advantage for one seed and whomever wins this game is going to have that. So that's the first window, 9.30 a.m. Is it on Fox? Is it on CBS? Is it on NBC? Is it on the Cooking Network? No, it's on the NFL Network. Again, you have to feed all these mouths with the NFL because... We just can't have your standard 1 o'clock schedule, then your 425 afternoon, game of the week, of course your Sunday night, etc. We have to spread our product until it's thin. But nevertheless, 9.30 there, Sunday morning. Your afternoon game at 1 o'clock is Seattle at Baltimore. The Ravens, we know how formidable they've been. And Seattle, they're going to have to come east. And with the Seahawks currently right now as constituted is in first place, And they've been in the Eastern time zone. They played Cincinnati there a few weeks ago. Tooth and nail, close game. Seattle had their opportunities, but they were unable to cash in. And now they're going to have to go from what would be a 10 o'clock Pacific time start to 1 a.m. So their bodies are going to have to adjust to that. Let's see if they can show up and show out there in Baltimore to at least be competitive and have a game, unlike what we saw there with Detroit, which was a big test for them. And now Seattle's going to have their own test, have to not only deal with the time zone difference, but also have to face a Raven team that's very good at home. They're playing very well. And let's see how that shakes down in the 1 o'clock window. Then at 425, Dallas at Philadelphia. Need I say more? That's going to be a huge game to see whether or not Dallas can inch closer in the division, which will go a long way. 
Dallas, I believe they are 6-2, where the Eagles are 7-1. So a win by Dallas will certainly put them in good shape in the conference if they lose. And chances are, when you look at this series on a whole, it's usually the home team wins these games, where when Philly goes to Dallas, and Dallas does play well at home, but let's see that how that shakes down at the link, 425 on Sunday. And then your nightcap is Buffalo at Cincinnati, where a lot of the talk is going to be about the last time Buffalo was at Cincinnati there in the early part of the second quarter, maybe it was late first quarter, with the whole DeMar Hamlin situation. So they're going to have to revisit that whole narrative, and I'm sure that's going to be the lead-in into the game there Sunday night. But those are two teams going at it where the Bills have been scuffling, they've been hanging in, a little bruised and battered, especially on the defensive side, and the Bengals look like they're clicking on all cylinders. So that's a huge matchup there in the AFC, and that's going to be tiebreakers down the road, you would think, even though both teams have three losses, but who knows how the rest of the season is going to shape out, whether or not they win divisions, it could be a situation where maybe not for a one seed, but let's say even as a two seed, if Buffalo somehow wins the division and they're tied with Cincinnati, that's going to be huge to see who's going to get the two and the three, because that means whomever gets the two seed they're going to at least have the opportunity to host two home games in the playoffs as opposed to having the one game and then having to go on the road the rest of the way. So I'll have to keep that in mind. Your Monday night game is the Chargers at the Jets. I'm not going to get crazy about that game. I get it. The Jets are 4-3. and three. You could also say smoke and mirrors as well. The Chargers with a win there against the Bears on Sunday night. Let's see if they could get their season on track at 3-4. and four. But that's not a game that's really appealing in my eyes. That's how I'm going to look at it. Other than that, you really have nothing much to sneeze at. Arizona at Cleveland, Minnesota at Atlanta. I understand they're both 4-4, four and four, but really, seriously, people. Chicago at New Orleans, Tampa at Houston, Indianapolis at Carolina, Giants at Vegas. Uh, listen, the rest of those games are garbage. But at least when you wake up, especially on the East Coast, and if you're out West, oh, you're really going to have to set the alarm. But you have Miami at Kansas City to... Get the oatmeal and throw in some blueberries with maybe a little almond milk. You have that. For lunch, you have Seattle at Baltimore. As you're preparing dinner, you got Dallas at Philadelphia. And then now you polish off your meal and now your dessert, which could be a main course for some people. Buffalo at Cincinnati is your full slate there in the NFL come Sunday. As far as the college football... Not the same when it comes to the schedule here. And how we'll break this down is LSU-Alabama. That's a big game. And Alabama, we know they haven't played vintage Alabama football. But you would think that at this current moment, they're starting to get their sea legs. They're starting to really get a better feel for their team. Knowing that they're into the month of November. And having that one loss against Texas early on this year. They know that they can't have and afford to have any hiccups along the way. But that is a top game that we're going to look at here. I know K-State is ranked, and they're the 12 o'clock Fox window going up against Texas. But that, if that was at Kansas State, maybe I'd look at that as an upset special. But right now, you would think Texas, they're trying to fly high and see if they could creep in to that top four. But if you want to pay attention to that, please be my guest. Notre Dame at Clemson does not have the same appeal as we probably thought at the beginning of the year. But they're also going to play at high noon on ABC. You have LSU, that's a night game with Alabama. Your 330 window, Missouri at Georgia. Can Mizzou 
do anything here where Georgia has played well. And we're going to get to the rankings in a minute because I have a bone to pick with the coaches poll. But for Missouri, again, if there was a flip-flop, and I remember last year, Missouri threatened to beat Georgia there in their building, but Georgia was able to escape with a win. Do I see the same storyline happening this go-around where the game is going to be down in Athens? I don't think so. The other night game of note is Washington going to play against USC. And because they're on the road, and I understand USC has stubbed their toe here over the last few weeks, but that's going to be a game that Michael Penix, if he's going to win a Heisman, he's going to have to not only dominate, but of course win the game. Because he could put up big numbers, and if Washington doesn't make a stop there, let's say if USC has the ball on the final drive and they kick a game-winning field goal, that's going to not put all the blame on Penix, but that's going to be a little bit of a mark against him because the team didn't deliver a win on the road in a big spot against the Trojans. So that's one thing that the college football fan is going to have to look at here. I get it that it goes at the same time against LSU and Alabama. 15-minute difference, maybe to offset to have the college football fan tune into Washington USC first and then they could jump over to LSU Alabama. But you would think a lot of people are going to watch the SEC, as we all know, that is a conference. Although down this year, hasn't been as formidable as we've seen in years past. And I know people can say, Jay Reels, what are you crazy? You still have Georgia number one. Alabama is still laying in the weeds. I get it, but this isn't your vintage year where LSU is going to push the envelope to see if they could get themselves in the discussion for a national title, or like last year where Tennessee was part of that discussion into November, etc. So, not a great schedule, although you have games that you could zero in on, but certainly not loaded that you had a few weeks ago. But next week, you're going to have games that are going to be meaningful, that we're going to really pay attention to, and that's going to be highlighted by Penn State and Michigan as the Nittany Lions will host Michigan. And that's one thing I hadn't discussed here over the last few weeks. And now it's gaining a lot more traction only because of what's going to happen with Michigan here as we head toward the home stretch of this college football season. So that's my bad that I had not brought up this scenario where you have a, dare I say, Spygate college version where reports have come out that there's been... The Wolverines have had people spying in on the opponent, whether it's on the opponent's sideline or, and we get it, sign stealing has been happening since the beginning of time, but not to the point where you're videotaping, not to the point where you're actually on the opponent's sideline has been reported there. Wall Street Journal, I believe even SI had uncovered some of these things when it comes to having people on the staff going to practices or going to walk through and trying to record or pick up any signals or signs that they can to the advantage of the Wolverines. And of course, this is on the heels of what happened in the offseason where Jim Harbaugh, although it was self-imposed, the three-game ban because of what happened in 2020 during recruitment, I guess paying lunches for potential players to recruit onto the team. And although we had to sit that out, but now you have this, which is even more damning because if these reports are true and are the NCAA and the powers that be, are they going to sweep this under the rug to the point that if Michigan goes on to have another undefeated regular season and win a Big Ten championship, 
Are they not going to be a part of the Final Four when it's all said and done based on what's hanging over their heads at this current moment? Now, I haven't filed a story with a fine-tooth comb. I'll admit that. Of course, I have paid attention to what's going on. And I understand that I have not brought this up here over the past few weeks where, as I mentioned, this story is starting to gain some momentum, especially now into the month of November and with the possibility of Michigan going back to another Final Four. What does this mean? Does the allegations of this cheating scandal, is it going to be a scenario where they're going to revoke the Wolverine's chances of making it into the Final Four? and put maybe Ohio State or another team there in front of them. This is something that is going to uncover over the next few weeks, and it would be great to see Michigan gets a loss and maybe not get to a Big Ten championship that maybe Ohio State does. But remember, Ohio State-Michigan is at the big house. It's not in Columbus. And even though Michigan has to go to Penn State, but do you really feel 100% confident that the Nittany Lions could pull off an upset? Do they have a shot? Absolutely. And that's a discussion more for next week. But again, since it's on the radar and we're into the month of November and getting deeper into this college football season, we have to give it its just due, pay some attention and mind to it. And one more time, hand raise high. I didn't bring this up in the prior weeks, not because I didn't want to, not because ah, I thought it was an afterthought, it wasn't a big story. But now, here it is. Into the final few games of the season and especially with the big games that lie ahead if Michigan runs the table here will they be representative of the final four based on what has taken place and what's going to transpire whether it be with the NCAA whether it be with the Big Ten Conference etc something has to be done here and does that mean that they don't get an opportunity to make it to the final four come New Year's Eve I'm sure there's going to be a faction of a lot of people to say they don't deserve it. And you know what? I'm one of them. Nothing against Michigan, nothing against their program, etc. But come on. If the evidence is there and if the truth is uncovered, then there needs to be a punishment. And no, not Jim Harbaugh getting suspended next year because you can already see it. Even if he doesn't win a championship and if they have the same fate of the last two years in the college football playoff. I can see him running to the NFL and not have to worry or even deal with this. So you have to keep that in mind as well. Because he hasn't been signed to an extension, although it's been rumored that he may sign one, but if this is going to be a cross that he can't bear, you know he's going to jump ship. So one more time, we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. And as far as the rankings overall, how did the coaches pick Ohio State over Georgia's beyond me? Seriously? What, because of their win against Penn State? A couple weeks ago, Georgia is the two-time defending champ. And yes, I understand they haven't been dominant. And I get it that they haven't just steamrolled by everybody, although they have played better of late. But to me, it's Georgia number one. And you see that in the AP top 25. And even though it's Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and you have to throw Washington in there because they're the fifth. And if any of these teams hit a speed bump there, you know Washington's going to catapult themselves into the top four. But with Texas and Alabama... And Oregon hanging around to see who's going to be able to try to inch closer to that top four. And we understand this week you're not going to see anything change. Or at least you don't think that's going to be the case. Because it's not as if 
Missouri's going to go into Georgia to win, as I mentioned earlier. And Ohio State, let's see who they play. I believe they're in the 12 o'clock window. Ohio State. Oh, they're at Rutgers. So they're literally going to be playing in the backyard, really across the river in Jersey. But Rutgers, although 6-2, but they're not going to be able to hang with the Buckeyes there come 12 noon on CBS. So one more time, people. New month. Now let's see how this college football landscape is going to unfold here. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of change this week. You never know. You may get an upset here along the way, but I would think it's going to be status quo once we get to Saturday night and we will reconvene and talk about there on Monday. Now as I turn my attention to the association, I'll lace up my high tops and then also lace up the skates to go take a trip around the NHL real brief before we say goodbye. James Harden. I said that I wasn't going to talk about him until news broke down that he was going to be traded, and as we saw there a couple days ago, that was the case, and he got his parachute landing destination of LA to be a member of the Clippers, and of course the Clippers, they're saying all the right things, oh, we're going to work this out as far as chemistry, and bringing in a guy like that is only going to help us, etc., of course they're going to say that. They're not going to talk about the baggage and the weight that he's left behind, whether it's in Houston, Brooklyn, now Philadelphia, and I don't want to pile on Harden, I continue to and have continued to do that here over the years. So to me, it's not even about that. What it's about is how his impact, and not only that, but also the shape he's in, the play, because we understand that he's still a very good basketball player. We get it that he's probably still even an all-star. But... Harden, as much as he dances to his own beat, he's not going to be able to do that here. Because he could bring all of his shake and bake, his crossover dribbles, dribble between the leg, let's burn the shot clock to four seconds so I can chuck a three. That's not going to happen on this team. Because he has Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook, his former teammate in OKC and in Houston, that he's going to have to also distribute the ball to. And he could talk about, oh, I played with KD, Kyrie, Russ in two other locations, Chris Paul. He could talk about all the players that he's played with. That doesn't matter. It matters what he's doing right now. And he's going to have to be more team-oriented, and that's the job of Ty Lue in order for this experiment, because that's what it is when you're dealing with James Harden. For it to flourish. Because Kawhi is the type of guy, very unassuming, quiet leader, but you know he's not going to stand for any BS. Westbrook, and we we get it, he has a lot of warts, but he seems to at least accept his role at this stage of his career more so than he ever has. Paul George, a guy that, another one, unassuming, quiet, not a guy that's giving the ball, he's going to be demonstrative, he's going to be that leader on the team but at the same time when you have all those guys on one roster and they're going to have to coalesce and mesh and play as close to a team as possible it may look good on paper it may look good at times but when the money is on the line and it's crunch time that's what we're going to focus in on and see if whether or not this team is going to be a championship ready 
and I get it, we'll have to wait till April, May, and June for that, but the regular season is what we're going to have to base it on. And let's see, they have what? 77, 78 games to prove that? Barring any injury and load management and all that nonsense? Do I think it's going to work? I'm going to say no. Do I think the marriage is going to last? I'm going to say no. Now, Harden, I believe what? He has one year on this contract, so he's pretty much playing for his last contract. So you would think he'd be on his best behavior. You would think that he would dot his I's, cross his T's, and be on his P's and Q's. But with Harden, he is unpredictable, just like the weather. So we'll have to wait and see on that. And as far as the sport overall, we're only nine or ten days in. I know the Celtics scored 155 points against the Pacers last night. And therefore, and all as well as the Dallas Mavericks, give it up to them. The Mavericks, who would have thought, but Lucas played out of his skull here in this first eight or nine days. The Nuggets lose to the Timberwolves last night on the road, so they get their first loss, and they got blown out there, 110-89. So you have two undefeated teams there in the sport. You're one team that has not have a win, and I know it's going to come as to a surprise to some, and even without their best player, are the Memphis Grizzlies. 0-5. I'm not going to say that this could be a long year for them. I know not having their best player certainly hurts, and they're not going to have him for another 21 games. But the Grizzlies, you have to wonder whether or not this is going to be a team that even when they get their superstar back in one John Morant, is it going to be enough? Now, we understand with the playing tournament, 7 through 10, they're going to have a shot when it's all said and done. You would think that they're going to hover around that or maybe be somewhere between 6 and 10 based on the start. Now, who knows? In another week or two, they could be 5 and 5 and everything will be quiet on the Western front or on the Tennessee front when it comes to the Grizzlies. But an 0-5 start is an 0-5 start. 0-5 could quickly become 1-8. and 8. 3-13, and 13, etc. And remember, the Lakers were 2-10 and 10 last year before they turned it around and they were in the Western Conference Finals. I'm not going to say it's going to be the same fate for the Grizzlies, but there's still plenty of time to turn it around and they do have the safety net of the playing tournament there at the end of the year. But just something to keep notice, considering a Grizzly team who's had success here over the last couple of years during the regular season, they are winless here to start off their year. And speaking of tournaments, the in-season tournament begins... In earnest, tomorrow night, or Saturday night, the 3rd, excuse me. Or wait, I got my dates mixed up. Today's November 2nd, J-Reels, let's get it together. So you have the playing tournament, which is going to be for the next month. And we'll get into that more in the days and weeks to come. But it'll culminate in the Final Four, what is that, December 5th in Vegas. And we all know, what is it, Six. Uh, five quadrants or six teams, whatever the breakdown is, where they're going to play against one another on the schedule over the course of the next month, and then it's going to culminate. And again, I still haven't figured it out. As to me, it's very convoluted, but it's going to be an NBA Challenge Cup. It's going to be similar to a soccer field where you're going to have these different groups and where it all ends up. It's going to be about five weeks from now in Vegas. And again... I couldn't even dissect it. Even if I studied it 10 times over, that's how confusing it is. But 
something that the NBA is experimenting with because they want to have some relevancy here in the early part of their season, not wait till Christmas Day where they have the whole day to themselves. Oh, no, wait, excuse me. The NFL has games that day, so you can't even see that or say that in that regard. So we'll have to see how this all unfolds, and you know I'll be on top of this here when the tournament begins there tomorrow. That's what I got with the NBA. And in the NHL, nothing much to really get into. I know you had that one player suspended 41 games, the Ottawa Senator player for gambling. And I believe he wasn't even signed, but had played for the Senators. So the NHL doing their right to crack down on gambling, similar to what the NFL's done here, as we've seen here over the years. But the National Hockey League also has a scenario where you have one team that has not have a win under their belt, and that's the San Jose Sharks. They're 0-8. So who knows? Are they going to be a team that's going to be amongst the dregs? Absolutely. But are they going to be woefully bad? Or historically bad? Way too early to tell, but they're certainly off to that type of start there, the Sharks, as they do not have a win under their belt. And it's pretty much status quo with the Bruins, Avalanche, Vegas Golden Knights. I know the Avalanche have a couple of losses. We talked about that on Monday, but they're 7-2-1. Bruins are 8-0-1. Vegas 9-0-1. The Rangers are 7-2 and won five in a row in the Metropolitan. That's what we have with the NHL, and that's pretty much been... What's happened here in the National Hockey League as we're now just about a full month into their season. And that's going to do it, people. Let's put the lid on this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for carving out precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it. If you haven't done so, check out any of my social media feeds, my channel on YouTube, at JReels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast. X, Twitter, J Reels, one just a number, or a question, comment, suggestion, the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, talking sports. That's it. This is what I've been set out and meant to do going on six years come March. Yes, an anniversary. Still got some time between now and then, but a lot coming down the pike here over the course of these last two months into 2024, so you definitely want to stay tuned and keep your fingers on the pulse of what I've not only got to say, but where the trajectory of this podcast is going, because I will continue day in, day out, podcast in, podcast out, week in, week out, month in, month out, to bring nothing but fire, passion, energy, fury, with my thoughts, feelings, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>